juggernaut of a league. Coastal Carolina won, won that whole thing three years ago. South Alabama, top 25. Uh, Louisiana Lafayette, top 25. Troy went to a regional last year. You've got to identify in recruiting very, very early who your program is, who your university is, and what's going to give you the chance to compete in a really, really good league. Everyone is always looking for the next job, the next job, the next job. And, and the best way to get your dream job or the job that you want is to dominate and be great where you are. Now, nothing is better than the human eye and the human instinct, but it's a lot easier and can help a lot better to make decisions if you've got some data that can point you in a direction. Fellas, 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 welcome back to the Farm System Podcast, your home for baseball development. We're here for you, by you, and with you. I'm your co-host, Joey Cunha. And I'm Bo Callis. This podcast is designed for coaches, players, scouts, really anyone looking to further their development in the game of baseball. Here at the Farm System, we take pride in being lifelong learners, and we are here to be a bridge from where you are to where you're going. We'd like to welcome back our veteran listeners. We're happy to grow with you again. We'd also like to welcome our first-time listeners, the rookies. Don't worry, every vet was once a rookie. This podcast is brought to you by our partners over at Rapsodo, Measure to Master. Rapsodo brings powerful insights into every pitch. They help players and coaches improve their performance through real data. On this episode, we sit down with Chris Curry, head coach of the University of Arkansas at Little Rock. Pull up a seat, grab your notepad, Here's Coach Curry. Welcome back to the Farm System. We're here with Chris Curry, head coach of the University of Arkansas at Little Rock. Coach, we appreciate you taking some time out of your day to sit down and chat with us here at the Farm System. Hey guys, glad to do it. Thanks for having me on. I've been following for a while. You guys are doing a great job. I appreciate what you're doing for baseball, and uh, it is a pleasure. Yeah, Coach. Well, you know, big reason I want to have you on is, you know, obviously, um, you know, going to school out in that area, I know how much talent there out there is when it comes to not only uh, the players, but also the coaching and developing of, of those athletes. So, you know, we, we really love to, to stay in touch with, with coaches out there and, you know, really put a spotlight on all the good work that you guys are doing out in that area. Well, thank you. I, I think baseball's done a great job all over the country. Uh, you know, especially especially making a great move. Uh, you know, obviously it's been always good out west and uh, you know the southeast. Due to the weather, due to the commitment of the colleges and universities to baseball programs, and the wonderful job that the coaches are doing. But you know, northeast always very strong, and then the Midwest is getting very strong. So I'm just excited for college baseball in general and the moves we're making. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's intense. There are good programs right next door to, to wherever you are, and uh, we're no exception. Absolutely. And, uh, Coach, before we kind of get going in some of the depths of the interview, can you give our listeners a little bit of your background uh, by taking them through your journey to get to this point in your baseball career? Sure, no problem. I uh, I'm, I'm a guy that has – I'm proud to say has kind of seen and, and coached at all levels. Uh, Little Rock Central Arkansas is home for me here. 
And then, like it does with all of us, baseball kind of took me on a tour around the country. Uh, went to junior college, uh, played for Scott Berry, uh, one of my mentors, who's now at Southern Miss, one of, one of the finest men and best coaches around. Uh, Corky Palmer recruited me, who's now retired at Southern Miss, and uh, took them to the uh, to the World Series and and uh, in '09, and uh, played there for two years. Then was recruited by Ron Polk and Pat McMahon and Jim Case and Tommy Raffo to play at Mississippi State in 1999, uh, played for one year. Uh, coach Polk had actually retired in the offseason before that, and so Pat McMahon was the head coach, Jim Case, Tommy Raffo, all three great character men and very good very good coaches. Uh, I was fortunate to be drafted. Uh, is actually my, my fourth time to be drafted. Uh, if you remember, about 20 years ago, they had the old draft and follow. And so you mm-hmm. um, you could be drafted, and the team had your rights up to seven days before next year's draft. So that was the appeal of junior college baseball for me. And, and then it worked out after after my third year in college. And I uh, was very fortunate. Jim Crawford, Crawdaddy Scout from uh, Crawdaddy's name. Everybody knows him by. Mm-hmm. Old scout down here and, and a fine man. And got to play with the Cubs from 99 to 02. All the way from Eugene, Oregon to Lansing, Michigan. I was a lug nut at Lansing and uh, West Tennessee, Diamond Jacks, uh, Daytona, Florida, uh, Iowa Cubs, and then was over with the Giants for a couple of three years, 99. Uh, I'm sorry, 02 to 05. I was in Norwich, Connecticut. Wanted to get into coaching and finish up my degree at Arkansas Tech, Division II, uh, there in Russellville, Arkansas, and then Coach Van Horn at University of Arkansas called, and I was fortunate to be a volunteer assistant for him. Uh, 2009-2010, I was with Todd Butler and Dave Jorn there, Clay Goodwin, and a really good staff. We had Dallas Keuchel, Drew Smiley, James McCann, Brett Eidner, Andy Wilkins. It's funny, I thought I was a really smart coach and really coaching these guys up, but Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) you you get later on and those guys are playing in the big leagues for a while and you realize, no, we just had really good players. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm happy I didn't mess them up. So I was fortunate just to be on the on the along for the ride on that trip. Uh, wanted to be a head coach. Went back to Meridian Junior College, uh, and was the head coach there for two years with Dylan Seta, uh, who's now the head coach there. Uh, Lane Burroughs called, uh, asked me to go to Northwestern State in Louisiana with him in the Sun Belt or uh, Southland. I apologize, Southland, and coach with Andy Morgan and Lane Burroughs at Northwestern State for two years, and then the opportunity to come home to my hometown and, and uh, lead a Sun Belt program at Little Rock, and uh, originally worked with uh, Russell Rayleigh and Roland Fanning, and then uh, those two guys got great opportunities, and now uh, had Mike Silva, and now have Noah Sanders, R.D. Spees, um, Cody Livingston, and Kyle Juicy on my staff, so very, very fortunate. We're starting our fifth year. Uh, we're in the middle of our fifth year, and that's been my path. And like like we said, baseball, it's taken me all over the country. Well, you know, one thing we really wanted you to dive into as well is, you know, when you, when, when you look across the nation, you know, what really sets Arkansas Little Rock apart? Arkansas Little Rock is in a metropolitan setting. Um, you look at the state that we're in, uh, really fine baseball. Uh, another university, University of Arkansas, was the runner-up nationally last year. So you've got great baseball being played right in our backyard. 
you got other programs around that really, really compete at a high level. So the baseball and the players are are are, are really elite here. Then our bordering states, um, our location number one is uh, really at a high level with Texas, Louisiana, Missouri, uh, Tennessee, Mississippi, and so our area is is, is a really hotbed uh, for for baseball at a high level. What sets us apart of the people. And when we got here five years ago, that's what we started with is a culture change and getting the right kind of people who care for each other, create a family atmosphere. And what that means, that's kind of cliche in baseball, you know, family, everybody says family and their pro. That means I care for you no matter what. And I care for you no matter what you're going through. And uh, I'm willing to put you in front of me and your interests. And uh, we're always striving for that here. And we make it a point to know more about each other and our backgrounds than just our positions and maybe where we came from. Uh, and, and, and that's that's what makes us maybe a little different. There are other places that do that well. Um, but uh, we're in a downtown university. And uh, it's uh, a, the kind of player that we have to have here has to have an edge, uh, maybe a little chip on his shoulder. Because Little Rock, let's be honest, guys, is not – been a perennial regional team or, or been a team that's been deep into the postseason. And so we're trying to get there. We're trying to build that. So there has to be a player that is willing to do things that have never been done. And there has to be a coaching staff that uh, doesn't listen to all of the obstacles. And uh, that's what sets Little Rock apart. We do a fine job inside our own locker room of training our men through leadership training with our finish empty program, do a fine job in community service, do a fine job in taking care of them academically. I believe we're embarking on our 11th semester in a row with a team GPA over three points every semester since we've been here. And then we uh, we won the Sunbelt Academic Award 3.27 team GPA last year. So our guys are graduating and our guys are fine members of the community, but we're trying to win too. We're in a, a juggernaut of a league. You know, Coastal Carolina won, won that whole thing three years ago. They're in the league. South Alabama, top 25. Uh, Louisiana Lafayette, top 25. Troy went to a regional last year. On down the line. And so it's a unique experience being at a metropolitan university, being attached or connected to so many good baseball states, uh, and then being right in the heart of uh, really, really serious competition. Yeah, I love that. And you kind of touched on this a little bit there, uh, touching on the culture. I want you to take that a step further and kind of open up what kind of player you guys target to fit the mold and culture that you guys have created there as a coaching staff. Well, we try our best. Uh, Obviously, everybody has a profile um, that they're looking for. You know, power bats tend to always play. Power arms, you try to get as many of those as you can. But at the same time, uh, you have to be careful just using those two profiles because there can be a lot of swing and miss and a power bat. There is, is the power arm a strike thrower. Um, many times we will uh, take a chance on a, on a pitcher, for example, who doesn't have uh, the sparkling stuff as far as velocity and things like that that everyone wants. And we want it as well, but we'll take a strike thrower with command of three or four pitches. Um, who really pitches with some grit and some edge. Um, we'll take a baseball player that uh, 
plays the same way. He does a lot of the little things. He's able to bunt. He's able to run. He's able to play a few different positions. Um, he's, he's hitting the two-holer. He's hitting the five-holer. He's hit leadoff. Those players are intriguing to us. Uh, we do have some of the classic players that you look for that are that are big and strong. We've got some guys that can run it up there. But to answer your question, the deeper part of that for us is we really, really have to know what kind of makeup and character and background and the family that we're looking for. And, and very honestly, guys, the kind of player that fits the best here is the blue-collar background, the player that maybe played American Legion, um, the player that has had to really fight for everything that he's had. A lot of our players have great stories uh, of battling through things in their personal lives or through hard times, and they have awesome families that are strong and have helped them through that. And for some reason, uh, those are the players that we tend to gravitate towards and really gravitate up maybe towards our program. Uh, who have not had, quote, every opportunity given to them, who have not played on necessarily the best teams all over the country and have maybe been overlooked. Those are the guys we kind of we pride ourselves on finding. And, you know, Lane Burroughs always said, and, and I agree with him, he's now at Louisiana Tech as the head coach and longtime Mississippi State assistant. You get who you are in recruiting. You get the kind of player that your program is. And what that means to me is your culture, the way you play, the way that your team goes about things in the dugout, the, the things that you celebrate or, or put up on the board as a plus to strive for, you tend to draw those kind of players. If you're, if you're recruiting the proper way, you've got to identify in recruiting very, very early who your program is, who your university is, and what's going to give you the chance to compete in a really, really good league? Because maybe the player that you recruited at another university is not the kind of player you have to recruit at this university. And I think that's the case wherever you are, and I've had the fortune and opportunity to be at a lot of different places, and you had to identify that profile immediately when you got there and understand what works best where you are. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And, you know, one thing I wanted you to, you kind of walked into my spider web there when we're, when we're going through uh, the players that you're getting, you know, you're getting some of these guys that you, you probably have to develop and um, you're getting some of these guys that have, you know, maybe have it in them, they're right on the edge and you have to bring it out of them. So when you, um, when you get those guys um, into your program, how do you guys approach player development? Well, we approach player development, first of all, but we're looking for a tool on recruiting process that we can't teach. You know, ideally, we'd like for a player to walk in the door with something that we can't can't teach elite speed. You can't teach elite power, and I'm talking light tower power, as they call it. You know, game changing speed, six three, six four, six five, sixty runners. You can't teach big, big, big time fastball, and I'm talking big, you know, nine mid nineties. And you can make a jump, and there's wonderful the wonderful training opportunities out there to increase, but that elite stuff. We're always looking for that, but then an elite fielder, uh, a really, really good thrower, which is a lost art in position players or throwers. Not many throwers left positionally. And if you find a guy who can really, really throw, uh, Todd Butler uh, told me, who's at Wichita State now, and I was with him at Arkansas, usually in recruiting, especially the best players, warm up closer to the infield. If you notice, 
and they're usually the best throwers, and they like to show off their arm because they have hand speed. And usually with the hand speed comes the bat speed. And if you have bat speed and then ball to bat skills, then, then you can uh, then you can develop. And so we're looking for, and this sounds cliche, but we're looking for athletes. Uh, we like guys that play tailback and strong safety and uh, uh, guys in high school that play football. Um, we like guys that are, that are point guards. Uh, we look for that because that means they're versatile. That means they're leaders, and they're going to learn very, very quickly. Even with our pitchers, uh, many times you know, we all want a big horse stallion of a starter, but you really got to pay attention to the hip mobility and, and, and wonder if, if you might not need to go with a longer, leaner, more athletic kid and so we kind of use those parameters and again recruiting and, and player development is such a loss it's such an art but that's where we start then we get them on campus and we start about mental preparation handling when you go for four handling when they they score a five spot on you breathing staying calm body language is paramount in our program we do not accept poor body language at all and we start on that from day number one. Pre-pitch, the pre-pitch hop, positioning, talking on the field, moving around. And then in the cage, in hitting, it's routine, routine, routine for the first two weeks. What is your routine that gets you ready to play a baseball game? And so we help the hitters identify themselves in the, in the groups, what kind of player they are. Are you a bomber? Do we need you to hit doubles and try to drive in runs and home runs and learn the art of that? Um, are, you, are you a ranger? Uh, are you kind of a hybrid? You can run, but you can also split a gap and hit a double. Are you a striker where you are extremely fast? You can bunt. You can hit and run. You can move him up. You can safety squeeze. You don't strike out. You get on base at a high clip. So we help the players identify, first of all, who they are because many times as a player, I might get in the BP group with the guy that's 6'5", 240 that hits it in the tree. Well, I'm thinking that, well, that's the standard. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. But I'm a middle infielder, and I'm a bat handler, and I can fly. And I try to tell our guys as soon as we can, hey, I don't expect you to do what he is doing. And I tell my power guy, I don't expect you to do what this bat handler is doing, this guy that can push and drag and safety and, and run. You need to be able to do that. You need to be every single player is asked to bunt at some point in our program, but obviously in different levels. And so we identify our players into certain groups, and then we start talking to them about their, their routine. What does your T work look like? What is your front toss, your 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 chair BP? What what does your, your live live arm BP look like? We start trying to drive the ball to the middle to the back side with authority in a straight line, not flares, not hooking. And so we start there, and that is the answer, I believe, to the first player development question is looking for a pitch that you're going to get 70% of the time in college baseball, which is a way, and being able to drive it with authority. We start there. On the pitching side, we start with being athletic and, and what gets you beat or what wins championship. That's strikes. It's not a whole lot of velocity gun going on around our program early. Now, we use it pretty much every day to make sure no one is, first of all, injured because the gun doesn't lie. And if your velocity is way down, you're either tired or injured um, or training improperly. But then that's also 
a level of competition too because hard hard to say we're going to throw this bullpen at 75 80%. A lot of guys don't know what that is. So if we can yell out, you know, 84 for example, well then the guy knows you may be at about 80%, but if you're throwing a bullpen at, you know, 80% and you're 89 to 91, well you throw 104 in a real game. So you need to bring your velocity down. Those are things in player development wise. A lot a lot of video training, uh, watching big leaguers and what they do, and then watching our own swings and our own deliveries, uh, and then understanding situational baseball is a big key in our program. Understanding when you're supposed to move a runner over from second with nobody out, understanding how to drive the ball to the middle of the field, runner on third, one out, understanding what pitches to look for, and then the thing, the last part, answer to your question, the thing that has helped us so much is we use a lot of velocity training towards the middle and end of the fall, hitting off the machines at high velocities, hitting high-velocity breaking balls, hitting high-velocity right-end, left-handed curves to get our guys ready. But understand, we do not start in on that day one. We build up to that, and we build up to that through slow drills like T, front toss, overhand toss, so that we can get our own bodies on time and ready to hit. And then as we speed the game up, then we're worried less about what our body is doing and more about what the pitcher's trying to do and, and the ball. Yeah, man, it's good stuff. I want you to take that a step further. Um, talk about implementation of player development on a daily basis. Can you take us through what a typical day of practice looks like there for the Trojans? Sure, sure. We meet. Uh, we try to meet in the morning uh, with our coaching staff. We don't meet every day, and it's it's not a meeting that is religious. There are some days where we know what's going on, and we don't have to. But we try to get get, get in the room together uh, about nine o'clock and just check and see what the news of the day is on recruiting. Uh, and then we, from there, we move to what we want to get accomplished. We kind of have a checklist in our in our office of what we want to accomplish as a team by the end of the fall. We want to, we want to know our first and thirds are sharp, our cutoffs and relays, our pop-ups, our, our burnt Ds, all that stuff. And so then we'll build a practice plan. And our practice plan usually is team stretch around 2 o'clock. Um, but before that, we'll have optional early work. And we'll let the guys know the field is open at one uh, for on their own work. We'll be out there and available for guys that uh, need uh, additional one-on-one time or they're working on a specific skill. Uh, or it might say middle infielders at 1.30, you know, meet, meet coach at second base at 1.30. Uh, or bunters, bunters on the field at 1.30. You know, it's five or six guys that are bunt for hit guys or outfielders or there might be early hitting on the field left-on-left left breaking ball. They're left-handed hitters hitting on the field breaking ball. Kind of a revolving door of drills that go on before practice. Team stretch at two. We we alternate between a dynamic warm-up and a static stretch movement, alternate days. The dynamic warm-up may be cones, ladders, uh, pickups, uh, things like that. And then our static stretch will start with more of kind of the high knees, the, 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 the lower back, the mobility stuff. Uh, we go into base running first thing while we're hot. Uh, position position players and pitchers do bands. Pitchers obviously do a full uh, Jagger band driveline program that Coach Spees has got them doing. And their routine is extensive, takes about 45 minutes before they come back for team. But they'll break off and they'll do their complete body warm-up. Position guys, while we're sweating and ready to go, we do base running pretty much every day, some aspect of it. Leads at first, uh, turns base running with multiple runners and you're the backdoor runner 
dirt ball reads, what have you. We'll rotate that. Then from there, we're going to catch play. We're on the clock. A very neglected area, as I touched on earlier, about position players and the arm strength. They don't throw long toss very much. Position guys don't. And they don't force themselves to, to, to throw from different arm slots. A lot of times, infielders, for example, will only throw from that three-quarter sidearm slot that they turn a double play. Well, actually, if you go to your right as an infielder away from first base and you ask yourself to make that strong throw, you need to be able to get over the top and get on top of the baseball. Well, that comes from long toss. So we talk about that. We move through that, about an eight-minute throwing program, eight to 12. Um, and then we come back in as individual defense, breakout, uh, different groups, working on different things. And, of course, there's a, a, a myriad of things that can that directions we can go there. We come back for team. We try to hit two team defensive uh, uh, concepts a day. It might be bunt defense and first and third. It might be fly balls and pickoff. It might be PFP uh, and defending the bunt. It uh, might be PFT and offensive bunt. Then we go into an offensive session for about an hour. Now, that is not on the field, quote, feel-good BP every day. The many times that will be a, a machine drill with situations set up. Uh, and many times we do what we call live BP, which Coach Noah Sanders brought to us, which is I love. Basically, you have hitting groups and you have a base running group and two defensive groups. And the first four out of the machine are, let's say, hit and run. Well, the defense plays every single ball live to the end of the play. On the fifth ball, the hitter runs it out live, and he runs till the ball stops him. It's a high octane, a high cardio, and it wears out the player physically and forces him to make plays while he's tired and we like that drill about once a week and so we just kind of rotate through all of that and um, then come back together at the end uh, for a little bit of a close uh, guys have field jobs and then we move on and, and we pride ourselves on trying to fit all that in in about two and a half hours uh, now the early, early work is on their own but we try to go two and a half hours a day we'll lift twice a week during the season, during the fall, uh, usually Monday, Thursday for position guys, and then obviously their pitchers, they're on a more detailed program depending on when they throw off the mound. Yeah, and just like you said, um, trying to fit all those things in and how organized everything has to be um, is, you know, definitely at that level is, is definitely a tough thing to do. Um, and when you guys look towards, you know, uh, again, continuing on with that player development, what does, you know, Arkansas Little Rock, how do they utilize technology? What are you guys doing over there? Sure, and, and, and the player development side, to kind of put a bow on your original question, the player development side is our drills, we hope, our drills will force a player who might be raw, who might have some swing and miss in there, who might need to – our drills will force that sharpness of the player. By demanding you execute this drill, it teaches you bat control. It teaches you what to look for. It teaches you where to throw the baseball. It teaches you, uh, you know, how to keep the double play in order. And so that's where the player development side comes from. Technology, many times we'll film practice. Many times we'll film batting practice. We've just stepped up our game, so to speak, and, and brought on a, uh, a young man who was in the minor leagues on the video side uh, and going to co help coordinate a lot of our video stuff, working with some dart fish and, and getting a center field view, get a home plate view. 
Um, we are not measuring spin rate, exit below, launch angle as much as others. We're more approach what you're trying to do before the pitch, and those things take care of themselves. Obviously, if the results are not what we want, then we're able to change some of that. Um, we have a database that we can drop our videos into for the players, so they have a library of themselves. They're able to log on and look at that uh, through an app, but but we're not uh, married to the video, so to speak, where after every single practice, we feel like we have to go look at it or or break it down. We just use it as kind of a home base or a baseline uh, as far as, uh, okay, here's what you look like when you were going really good. Uh, here's what you look like when you were off track. And here's what you look like now. And, and we use a lot of that. But I really like the big field view to show the guys what everything looks like as far as leadoffs and pre-pitch and backing up bases and things like that. And then we have the tight pitcher to hitter view where we can show our catchers where they're setting up. We can show the hitters what their feet are doing, their upper body. We can show the pitchers the shape of their pitches and location. And then statistically, as far as data, there's a ton of things that we chart, a ton of things that we're able to show. ERA, batting average, not high on our list. Uh, quality at bats. Every player fills out a quality at bat chart at the end of his at bat in game. We share those with the players. We measure those. The pitchers, they have an evaluation sheet they do after they pitch. That all goes into a chart. And then, of course, we use a lot of really, really good data to help us get some information on our opponents. It's available to everyone through through the different spray charts and shifts and scouting reports. And uh, data, guys, in the last 10 years, it's just it's become amazing. And what MLB is doing college baseball is sure to follow in the next three to five years. Now everybody's shifting. Uh, now everybody knows spin rate. Everybody knows exit velo. Everybody knows those things, and those weren't even words 10 years ago. And uh, and so you better know your data. You better know your information. You better know your splits. You better know who does well. And one thing that, that we stole from another, uh, another uh, really, really good program that we like is a lot of times you keep spray charts in the fall of your own hitters. What we like to do is keep spray charts of our pitchers. And so since our sample size is so small in college baseball, in other words, in MLB, you might have 1,000, 1,500 at-bats to go off of a big leaguer. Well, you know where he's going to hit it. Well, here you may have, in college, a guy's new, he's a freshman, he's a sophomore, you may have 20 or 30 at-bats. Well, it's hard to start shifting and moving an outfield or infield off of 20 or 30 at-bats. Well, on the flip side, if we have a spray chart of our pitchers and where most left-handers hit the ball against our pitchers, for example, or where do most right-handers hit the ball against our pitchers, that helps a lot as far as data. And it gives you a general idea. Now, nothing, nothing is better than the human eye and the human instinct. But it's a lot easier and can help a lot better to make decisions if you've got some data that can point you in a direction. Yeah, absolutely. I think you nailed it. Uh, data and analytics are changing the game of baseball, and slowly but surely, I think the college baseball landscape is going to start heading that direction as well. So, Sure. Coach, I want to change directions a little bit here. Uh, you have quite the resume, good amount of experience as an assistant and a head coach. Um, can you kind of open up what that transition was like going from assistant coach to head coach, and then advice you'd give to help make that transition a little smoother? 
Well, I, I was fortunate uh, to to play and, and, and work under as an assistant some just giants in, in our field. Uh, again, Scott Berry, Corky Palmer, being around Ron Polk, Jim Case, Tommy Raffo, Pat McMahon. So it was modeled for me. And even on the pro side, getting to watch really, really good instructors and coaches and how they operated. And I started about 25 years old. I was a catch-and-throw defensive-type guy, hit towards the bottom of the order in pro ball. Defense was my deal. And so I started gravitating towards, you know, when my night, when I was off and not playing, when I was, when I was not in the lineup, I started gravitating towards and sitting with around the coaches and just listening and uh, following what they do. And, you know, I, I knew that I wanted to teach baseball and I wanted to learn it. And, I, you know, through trying to get hitters out by calling pitches as a catcher, you start to learn the baseball swing. I taught lessons for kids forever, and I believe that helped a ton in learning the swing, for example, or learning the delivery. If you're taking some kids who, let's be honest, guys, don't have any athletic ability and trying to get them to learn the swing, well, you've got to be able to communicate what that player needs to do with his or her body. And so that, that helped a lot, but being able to watch and help watch practice planning and how those elite coaches I mentioned, and, and then working at, at Arkansas for Dave Van Horn and Todd Butler, you know, Dave, Dave Jorn and, and those guys watching them work, learning that the best lieutenants make the best generals. Uh, and, and what, what that means is, Everyone wants to run their own program. Everyone wants to be a head coach. Many times you see young coaches, and I was probably guilty of this in my younger days, of trying to force the issue, of trying to muscle my way into being the the alpha personality or the leader on the staff instead of learning and absorbing and serving and assisting as much as you possibly can to the head coach, those guys always make the best assistants and they make the best head coaches. The guy that is trying to force his way of doing things, his idea, his opinion, his philosophy, before filtering it through, does this help the team win? Is this what's best for us? And before filtering that through, what does my head guy want and what fits his coaching style? Those guys seem to get bogged down and clash more. Uh, and, and again, I'm not talking about being a yes man. No good head coach wants a staff full of yes men. I need to know what we're missing on our team. What angles are we not seeing? What areas are we neglecting? What do we need to get better at? How can we coach this better? We open up that conversation in our office all the time. You have to be secure as a head coach. You have to be secure enough to hear from your assistants, hey, I, I think there's a better way. And I've learned so many drills from my assistants. But just realizing early on that you love to teach the game, you love to learn the game, you love to make adjustments and help people, but you also love to, to figure out why a head coach has been successful for such a long time and figure out what he's good at. But then at the end of the day, you got to be you. You got to be you, and you got to do it your way. And we are baseball coaches. We are the <laughs> we're the copycat king, uh, probably in coaching. If somebody's winning or doing something or a drill or whatever, we copy it. And you should. 
and that's learning. But you've got to own everything you're teaching, and you've got to own every drill you're doing and asking your players to do and, and understand. Because it doesn't matter what what you know as a coach. It's, it's, it's what they can do and they can understand and what mm-hmm. you can relate to them. And when I, when I started to realize, and I still haven't fully grasped all of this, when I started to realize it's not about how many drills I know, it's not about how many cool, cool PFP drills that I've got or how many stations and hitting I know. If you can't call up the correct one sentence or one word cue for a player or put your team in a real-life practice situation that speeds them up or really spotlights their weakness so that they can get better at it, then all that knowledge that you have in your office or online or whatever is useless. you got to be able to communicate with your team, and that comes through working with as an assistant, doing all those jobs that you think don't matter, doing the jobs that are low on the totem pole, so to speak. For example, uh, the scouting report, my job was to take the notes from the entire staff at Arkansas and put it on one report. And so you may think, you know, hey, this is not, I mean, I'm just transcribing what these guys want. I mean, how much am I helping? I'm not helping very much. Well, your attention to detail there and your attention to what they're asking you to do says a lot about you, number one. But if you miss something there, if you don't write down that a guy is a switch hitter versus just left, or you, you know, transpose some numbers as far as the split, then things are off. You might lose a game. Um, cleaning the facility, uh, making sure that everything is ready to go for a road trip. Um, handling all those details, a lot of assistants might think, well, this is not important because when I get a real full-time assistant job, then I won't be doing all this and I'll get to really do what I love. Or when I get a head coaching job, I won't have to mess with all this. When the truth is that's training for being that full-time assistant coach or full or head coach because all it is is attention to detail and all it is is running checklists to make sure everything's covered. And so you can learn a lot about that as a young coach by doing jobs that seem menial, by doing jobs that seem small, and listening more than you speak, and watching more than you speak, and absorbing it all. And I think that's a great path uh, to, to becoming a head coach. And we all want we all want the next job so bad. Everyone is always looking for the next job, the next job, the next job. And and the best way to get your dream job or the job that you want is to dominate and be great where you are and make your job a job that everybody wants and make your job the best job. And then it's those guys that get hired. If you notice, the guys that get hired for the jobs that everybody wants, they're always doing a wonderful job right where they are because that's who people want to hire, someone who's dominating where they are. The guy who's just constantly working a job, making the phone calls, putting himself out there, you know, on on the gossip trail, ah, that's not always the guy. Not always the guy. It's the guy with his head down, the guy who's busting his tail, the guy who's producing, the guy you don't want to play against, the guy who takes players that were raw or, or not great coming out and develops them 
that's who people start knocking on their door. Yeah, man, what a great perspective on that side. And, you know, one thing, you know, you really started to touch on. And when you look back at yourself as a younger coach, you know, what do you think that are some ways that you've changed your coaching style over the years? Oh, I was, I was crazy, man. <laughs> I was, uh, <laughs> I was, uh, I was out of control. I, I, I want to apologize personally over time to all my former players. Uh, man, I was, I was quick. I was quick to react. I was too quick to react. I was, I was too quick. And I, I never, I never was way out of line and I never, you know, I never did anything to break the rules, but you're just so emotional and reactive. I believe a lot of times as a young coach. Um, and really, I don't think that's just a coaching thing. I think just as a young man, um, because probably because of my own insecurities, uh, probably because of wanting to prove myself, probably because of, of wanting to, to look good, to be respected. And so all of those thoughts are about everyone else uh, and what they think instead of just learning. And, and we all know in coaching, there's time where you get with your team. There's time where you got to get their attention, but sometimes it's much more powerful to pull a player aside one-on-one -on -one and go, hey, man, I just want you to know that, that you're, this, you're not getting it done. This effort that you think you're at full speed, you're not at full speed. Your body language, your body language is, is bringing yourself and your team down. You don't even realize it versus blowing that kid up in front of everybody. Now, after a few times, after the message is not getting through, well, then sometimes you've got to get everybody's attention. And then there's times where the entire team, they need their attention brought back. But I, I just think connecting with players more, spending more time off the field with guys, and learning more about who they are and where they come from will help you coach them. And again, I never have said, nor will, do I believe, you need to be buddy-buddy with your players. You don't need to be. You can't be. There needs to be a respect level, and there needs to be a professional distance uh, with your players. But you've got to humanize your humanize yourself more to your players. And when we're not working, when we're not at the field, they need to see you in a off-the-field environment, laughing, being a human. I think it's good for them to see you with your family and to see that side of you and to realize you're not just this crazy man yelling at practice all the time. And, and we're running and we're lifting and we're fungoing and we're hard 90s and that's all they ever hear from you. There needs to be some time carved out where, where you, you speak your heart a little bit and you, you open up and you, you even show some of your weaknesses or tell them a story about when you messed up, when you were a player. And I think you get more, more return on that investment. Um, as a coach uh, versus constantly, constantly railing on them. And don't get me wrong, fellas, we have high discipline and high accountability at Little Rock. You don't run hard down the first. If you don't come out of the game right then and there, I'm probably meeting you at the dugout. Um, if you're not on time, there's, there's accountability. If you step out of line off the field, there's accountability. So I don't believe in a soft program. I don't believe in letting people do whatever they want. But at the same time, you can't just rail on guys 24-7 and expect them to be completely all in emotionally and care 
and, and, and want to really care about the team because then they feel like they just work for you. And people who are just working for someone are just punching the clock. They're not emotionally invested and will do above and beyond and what's not asked of them to win. They'll just do whatever they need to do to keep you off their back. And they'll do whatever they need to do to keep you from yelling at them. Instead of saying, what can I do? They say, what have, What do I have to do? And now, sometimes, now fear, you know, some people have said, Winston Churchill, fear is the greatest motivator. But it's a healthy fear. Mm. And fear, you can you can replace that word with respect. And I think maybe that's what that word meant at that time, a healthy respect. Hey, if I don't run hard, there's going to be accountability. I got bad body language. I pout. You know, I show another player up. Oh, there's accountability. And especially with this generation, starting with, with why. Why? Why do we do this? Why do you run hard even when you know you're going to be out? Why, why can't you throw your glove when they hit a bomb off of you? Why, why don't we stand in the batter's box for 10 seconds and admire a home run? Why don't we do that? Why? Just because I said so? Well, I, you got to go a step further. Now, there has to be times in the moment where it has to be because I said so, because I don't have time to explain to you, and time is sensitive, and we have to make this decision or this move right now. I can't explain to you why I need you to move two steps to the right. I just need you to move two steps to the right right now on this pitch. I'll mm-hmm. tell you later. Mm-hmm. There has to be that respect. And then you could circle back and go, okay, you know what we had you in the four hole there? Because we knew we were throwing a back foot slider, and we knew that this left-handed hitter, if he hits it, he's going to dig it out and probably roll it over right there. But I don't have time to explain to you that during the game. When there's other times where I go, hey, you understand why we're running hard first even when you know you're out? Because that speeds up the infield, mm-hmm. and it makes them realize they have got to be perfect on every ground ball or the Little Rock runner is going to be safe. That's also respect to the game because if your son was sitting in the stand, would he be proud of the way dad played? And so, we, you know, we just talk about it that way. Yep. I think that's a good point. Uh, I kind of wanted to circle back to the early Coach Curry. Uh, I think part of the battle is when you get in the game of coaching, sometimes you're pretty close in age to some of the players you're coaching. Right. Um, considering that, what piece of advice do you have to kind of create that line of separation and maybe speed up that maturation process? Well, you want so bad as a young coach, especially when you may have, let's say you're a GA or you're a volunteer and you're, I mean, you just got into it. And you may have even played with some of the guys you're coaching now. Well, the trap is to want them to like you as a friend. And the trap is that you're trying to make friends with them as a young coach. And you think them liking you is them respecting you and believing that what you had to say in the cage or in the bullpen is uh, the gospel truth. When in all actuality, you've got to, You've got to keep that professional distance. And, and I tell my young coaches, we're not hanging out with the players. We're just not. I immediately require them to be called Coach Hurry, Coach so-and-so, even if they're young. And the reason is not because we're big and tough and need to have a title, but that just constantly reminds the player and the coach that there does need to be a healthy respect for authority there. And there does need to be a distance. And why? Because I have a best interest in mind. And so that I would recommend, number one. Um, a lot of times young coaches I've seen will 
jab or play around with, you know, verbally the the players or alive. I've even seen this in strength coaches that are young. Um, they'll jab and 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 get that time where you you know you're allowed to make fun of a little bit healthily, like we all love to do in the locker room. But then that that can trick a player because you they may continue that kind of jab fun ribbing session in a setting in front of other players where you don't want to be jabbed and ribbed as a coach. And then they, you feel disrespected. Well, you jump down their throat and the player's confused because he thought that was okay. And, and again, it's a fine line. You can't be stiff and rigid and never smile or have a joke with the guys. You can't, but at the same time, there has to be that, I go back to a professional level of, of, of respect as a young coach. So I would tell the young coach, and I tell my young coaches, don't try to get the guys to like you or be your friend. Now, don't be a jerk. I see it go the other way. Young coaches want so bad to be respected that they go way over the top, and they're yelling, and they're on guys constantly every day, all day, and they're trying, trying to remind that player at every practice that they're the coach and you're the player and you're going to do what he says, well, that, that doesn't work either. I, I think, again, we get caught up in so much of me, me, me. Instead, if you'll just immerse yourself as a coach in how to help the player be better, just make him better because that's what a player wants. And the ultimate respect that a player gives to a coach is who made me the best, who gave me the best information. And that may be information about me personally, my body language, or how I play the game, or that may be how to hit a backdoor slider. But the guy that can help the player become his best, he gets the most respect. And those are the those are the guys that we all end up looking up to and saying, I want to be like him, or I want to be like him. Well, that's how those guys got to that spot. They created accountability. They created a healthy respect. Their players understood why they were doing things. They understood why they're doing things off the field. And then their players learned from them and got better because of what they told them to do. And they won because of it. And then they, 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 that's, it's earned over time. And the young coach relating to the players, I think just be there in the cage every day. Be willing to throw BP to a guy um, without necessarily having to fix his swing all the time. Um, just because I'm a coach doesn't always mean I have to be coaching and fixing. Sometimes you just need to be a pitching machine that day because the best adjustment your players can ever make is their own feel. They have to do that in the game anyway. You can't run up to the batter's box and fix them. So you give them a goal. So some days we'll have days, and they're rare. We're coaching 90% of the time like everybody else. But we'll just turn up the music in the cage and just throw. Just throw. Well, they're competitive. Players are competitive. They want to do it well. They know when they barrel a ball up versus roll over or pop up. You just throw. You know? I, I go back to this. I'm getting off track in uh, 30 seconds. They they ask, <laughs> you know, they ask Mickey Mantle's dad, what, well, what did you do to create such a great player? I just threw to him every day. Really? Well, you no know, drills? No, I just threw to him every day. Now, Mickey Mantle walked on, on the planet with a great set of skills, but his dad, I just threw to him every day. Chipper Jones' dad, what'd you do with Chipper? What, what? I just threw to him every day. 
the Drew brothers, J.D. and Tim, and, and remind me of the third brother. The third one. Well, think about their dad. His sons were three first-rounders. Talk about being proud, right? Yeah. What did you do with your sons? What were your drills? I threw to them every day. Hmm. So, so sometimes, not all the time, you can't allow a kid to continue doing the wrong thing. But sometimes after you've laid out the plan and after they understand what you're trying to do, I, I just might sometimes I'll step out behind the L screen and go, hey, hit it off the back net. Crank the music up, and I just throw. Mm-hmm. And th- th- they'll, if they're a good player, they'll figure it out after you've mm-hmm. already laid out the plan. That's my advice a lot to young coaches. Listen more. Soak up more. Watch more. Be approachable to players, but make sure that you're not trying to jab or be buddy-buddy. And just listen and learn. I wish I'd have done more of that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love it. Uh, Such great advice, you know, and insight, not only for that question, but really throughout the entire interview. Coach, if any of our listeners uh, want to get in contact with you about anything that you've covered today, what's the best way for them to do that? You shoot me an email. Um, I'll reply to anybody and everybody. Uh, cmcurry at u-a-l-r dot e-d-u. That's spelled C-M as in Mary, C-U-R-R-Y at U-A-L-R dot E-D-U. That's the best way. And then if we need to get on the phone from there, I'm happy to get on the phone. I am not a Twitter guru, (laughs) so (laughs) so, uh, don't follow me for great hitting advice or the next great infield drill. There's a lot of other people smarter than me. I follow everyone, though. And I think, as a side note, if you're not, following along with what's out there, um, you may be getting behind a little bit. Now, don't chase everything that comes out that's brand new. Cross-check that with what you believe and what works for you. But you need to be aware of where, where, where baseball is trending. And I'm, I'm very, very humbled and honored to be a part of the college baseball fraternity. And I'm so excited with where we're headed with possibly a third coach, which is going to help young coaches all over the country. I'm, I'm happy with more, more TV. I'm happy with more programs investing. Just a great time to be a college baseball coach. Absolutely. Well, hey, Chris, thank you again for sitting down with us and giving back to the game. Hey, I, I, it's the least I can do. And thank you guys for giving back to the game. And uh, it's a pleasure to be on with you. Absolutely. Thanks, Coach. Thank you. Man, just so great to have Coach on, and you dropped a whole bunch of nuggets there throughout. So this call takeaway is brought to you by Silverback Sports. Silverback Sports is the alpha when it comes to arm care and training essentials. Silverback's training products are constructed from premium materials and are designed to be durable and dependable to withstand the toughest and most rigorous throwing or training programs. Visit shopsilverback.com to see their entire line of high-quality products at very affordable prices. Also, Follow them on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook to stay up to date. At Shop Silverback. That's at Shop Silverback. Yeah, Joey, it was great to get Coach Curry on the call. What was your biggest call takeaway? I think my biggest call takeaway is just definitely he talked a lot of into the mentality of coaches and kind of like what our role is um, to our athletes. And so I think, you know, a big thing they touched on is, you know, as younger coaches, um, sometimes, and also too, I mean, I think as coaches, period, um, we just need to get out of the way a lot of the times. A lot of times we just need to get out of the way. Now, also with that being said, we can't just give it all to the athlete. Obviously, there's a need for us. Um, So there's ways that we need to direct them. 
Um, but the best leaders usually point towards a path uh, rather than point towards and give absolute direction. So I think that's a, that's a great thing that he really touched on, but how about you, Bo? Yeah, man, love it. Um, and I talked out on this one a couple times, previous call takeaways, but I like kind of the older school mentality, uh, the, what he brings with the new school game. And obviously coach Curry's embracing technology and, and the new wave of baseball, but he also trusts his eyes. Um, as coaches, we still have to trust, um, you know, our instincts and be able to see what the data and analytics is actually telling us about players movements and their overall development. So that's kind of my biggest takeaway there. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, uh, guys, you guys have been a big part of the team for a while, but if you want to look like it, again, you guys can always head over to our shop. We've got shirts and hats, a uh, new snapback coming out here soon. Um, so, guys, definitely jump on that. Um, and, and, you know, there are also a whole bunch of resources on there. Again, just make all these things are um, – all those things there are, like, free for you to use and utilize throughout your program. Um, also, too, don't be afraid. We're always looking to take in more resources. So if you have, you have something that you think that would add to us, definitely send that over. But from us and our partners over at Rapsetto, until next time, Farm System out.